0: back to the criterion connection a podcast where two film lovers explore the criterion collection by connecting these iconic films to each other through the greater tapestry of cinema every two weeks we craft a double feature of films connected through one element or another the only caveat those films must be a part of the criterion collection we also highlight new additions to the collection hidden gems on the criterion channel and more as always i'm ian joined by my lovely co-host mackenzie
1: Ciao! I was trying to think of hello in Italian, and I'm like, where is, what am I saying here? <laughs> hello.
0: Oh, I love it. Ciao, Mackenzie. And this week, we are discussing spine number 235, The Leopard, a film by Lucino Visconti. Everybody out there, please get ready for a bunch of butchered Italian Pronunciations. Uh, I speak for myself. Mackenzie, as always, is probably well prepared to say some of these names. I don't know. Maybe.
1: (laughs) You know, if my three months of Italian Duolingo is going to come in handy ever, it better be today.
0: Uh, I think it will come in handy, but though I'll have to wait just a bit because we got a little bit to discuss just like last week where we had the Criterion channel updates to talk about. This week we've got the Criterion collection updates to talk about. We'll talk about new titles. Here in a minute, Mackenzie, but before we get to that, you've had an interesting week since we last talked. Now, normally we record on Thursdays. This week we are recording on a Monday. So it's only been about four days of viewing since we last spoke. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you've watched some really interesting stuff. So I got to hear a little bit about what you've been watching since the music room.
1: Yeah. Um, I so I guess just to quickly touch, because as we say, we we highlight hidden gems on the Criterion channel. Um, last A last week's ADP or two weeks ago's is ADP, our 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 recording date being different is confusing my brain, but um Maybe it was last week's. I don't remember. At some point on ADP Kev recommended the film Clock Watchers to me that is on the currently on the Criterion channel. It was on for a few months. It left, and now it's back with the Parker Posey collection. i it might be gone by the end of the month or I, I'm not hundred percent sure, But if you listen to this, you're listen to this on Christmas Day, maybe. one, Merry Christmas if you celebrate it. And two,, uh, you should check out Clock Watchers if it's leaving by the end of the month or just in general. Um, I really liked it. I, it's very like late nineties in the way it deals with just like nihilism and uh what is our place in the world and we're all cogs in a machine that is running for a system that is not meant to benefit us kind of like it's it it starts off as just kind of a workplace not comedy but like workplace group thing i don't know it just and then it kind of turns into this really thoughtful rumination on um I believe I, I cited it in our my review. Our friend Wes said, a subversive critique of corporate culture and all its soul-sucking, dehumanizing meaninglessness, um, which I agree with. So yeah, like, but it also, hey, might make you so sad. So like, because it made me very sad just in there being like, oh God, this is how it is. We are, we are not born to be just working for our whole lives and yet we must. Uh, so it might make you sad, but it's really good. And the cast is incredible. So just recommend that on the channel while it's here. Um, and then also on the channel, I checked out a film that was recently added to the collection in that Bo Viterberg's new Swedish cinema collection, Elvira Madigan. Um, so this just was a really weird movie to just put on in the middle of the day. Um, but I recently... I've just been thinking about film criticism so much, which I know is a weird setup for this. Um, and I've been thinking about Siskel and Ebert and how much of a place they hold in the public consciousness and how it feels like we don't have critics like them anymore that really speak to the masses about films that they care about. And I've been watching a lot of their end of the year best of videos. Like there's a lot of old episodes on YouTube. And I love just watching them passionately talk about film and talk about things that still feel so relevant today. There was this great thing where they were talking about the cotton club, which was on their top 10. And uh, Eber was like, why am I hearing about how much money this film's going to lose? That's just killing the film. Who cares? That's I'm not a part of the business. That's for your accountants. I just want to, I, why do we, why do we harp on how much film, how much a movie costs or how much it might lose instead of just enjoying the film. That's there. Uh, like look, they just say such things that resonate with me today. And anyway, I've decided to go on a passive journey of trying to check out Cisco Niebuhr's top end of the year, top 10 films, because I think that they're such interesting, uh, writers. Rachel's actually getting me the new opposable thumbs book about Cisco yeah, Singer. Um, yeah. yeah. So Rachel's yeah. ordered that for me for, for the holidays. And I'm so like, super excited to start reading it. And uh, yeah, so this is my my passive journey I'm going to be taking alongside reading the book. Um, obviously a huge journey, but just going to be one. I, I it's just a way to check out more films that are really great. Um, and it's I don't have a timeline on it. I'm just going to do it. Uh, and anyway, all that to say, uh, I had never really heard of Elvira Madigan, and but I saw, clicked it and was like, oh, Bob Fiddeberg. oh, that box set that I said I knew nothing about months ago. Uh, and this was number nine on Roger Ebert's best film, I think nine or eight roger ebert's best films of 1967 and i was like it's on the channel i've never heard of it let's check it out and uh thank you all for bearing with me there to now i'm at the actual (laughs) film itself um yeah i gave it four stars because i think it's i don't know i'm actually still chewing on it i don't think i want to go lower but i don't think i want to go higher i've been chewing on it for like a week now um because it's a very strange movie uh it's I did not know this going in. It's actually based on a true story. So um, this, there was a very young trapeze artist, or she was a, uh, a wire walker. I don't know what to really call her. Um, she worked in a circus, basically, and uh, ran away with a an army man, a Swedish officer who was married with children, uh, ran away with him, and they... And again, I'm telling you all this, it's at the top of the film. The top of the film is like, this is a true story. And this is what happened to these people. And then, so the ending is, it's kind of Romeo and Juliet-esque. It's, you you get told the ending at the very top of the film. And then you kind of just watch how it gets there. Reminds me a Vagabond in that way, maybe, as well. Uh, just to touch on something else we've talked about on the show. But um, yeah, they ran away together. And with him being a deserter and her being 20, they quickly found out that they're surviving is hard when you're on the run. And uh, I don't know if it's really known what led up to this in real life, but uh, they went to the forest and killed themselves because they realized they couldn't survive. And uh, I did not know this going into the movie. So the movie starts and it's like, these two people ran away together and then killed themselves. This is their story. And I'm like, okay, all right. And then again, finding out it's real, it's strange. And um, yeah, I think I've been chewing on it because the film is beautiful it's one of those like every frame a painting kind of thing i know it's just, it's over but i mean like the color in this movie is so gorgeous it's like these beautiful shades of green and blue because they're just in this like swedish countryside uh and it's so stunning and like it's really sexy <laughs> for like 1967 like these people are fucking and it is like hot i was like i was shocked that like it was it's a very sensual film it's um it's so interesting and like so much of it you're just kind of vibing with it and you're like i don't know what's going on but we're vibing and then like a new character shows up about 30 minutes in and reveals to to me because i didn't really know i guess you'll all know that this man has a wife and kids and you're like oh okay so this is bad actually and um I think I'm chewing on it still because I'm just not sure how to feel about it because the film makes them feel very romantic. The film makes them feel very like Romeo and Juliet, star-crossed lovers. Uh, The fact that he's married throws a wrench in it. But, like, you can tell they really love each other. But then I go on Wikipedia and I read that, like, in actuality, she was 20. He was 34, 35. He was obsessed with her and sent her letters even though she begged him to stop and he kind of just was so obsessed with her that eventually she decided to run off with him, to appease him. So it feels kind of weird there. And Bo in interviews was like, I think what these people did was stupid. Like, I think what they did was like, you can't just decide that you are one of the few people who gets to shirk your responsibilities and run away from life. He finds their what they did to be selfish and egotistical as does Eber who wrote that in his really great review I read his review afterward and I think it's funny because I didn't get that from the movie from the director if that makes sense like to me they were positioned as like very romantic and uh, misunderstood but it seems like the director that's not necessarily what he wanted so I think I'm still chewing on it a week later because I I'm not sure if I got what the director wanted out of it but I still got a good experience if that makes sense yeah
0: no that makes sense
1: so um yeah i i recommend elvira madigan it's a it's a random one i mean i don't if you like bergman if you like i was saying kind of reminds me of a that idea of just like you're kind of watching people just exist a lot in this movie and there's some stakes right because they are technically on the run from from the law so there are some stakes where like they they almost get caught and they have to kind of go out the back door and run away and then they're just kind of vibing again in the forest but um yeah, it's it's a very vibey movie. It's a very, I found it to be calming, all things considered. Uh, and yeah, stunningly performed. And I loved the um, the directing. Yeah, I love the performances. I also, I think it's funny because people look different, right? Like human beings just like physically look different. Like when you watch, you see a movie start today, and you see a movie start from 1940. Like just faces look different now. Human beings have changed. Um, and so like, I know people say like, whenever like Dakota Johnson's in a period piece it's like her face has seen an iPhone she she looks too modern I've I've never felt that about an old movie until now because the the main characters in this movie look like they could be movie stars today like the girl that plays Elvira Madigan I could see her on TikTok like it was the weirdest thing ever so I think the film (laughs) I know this sounds like the goofiest shit to say ever but the film weirdly feels kind of modern because the actors have very modern faces and very like modern performance sensibility so it, it it actually doesn't feel it doesn't feel dated at all like it feels like a it, almost like it could be a new movie it's very strange
0: no i get that i've definitely seen pe- not even period pieces but like films from like the 60s or before that like there's just like always like there's possibly just like one performer in it who feels a little bit more modern than the rest of them I i totally understand what you're saying
1: Yeah, and like truly, last thing I'll say is uh, usually movies have to make me have to really work to make me find a man handsome, and I this man rocks a mustache like no one I've ever seen. I was I was shocked. Um, but that is uh, Elvira Madigan. I believe it's streaming on the channel. Um, so is Clock Watchers. I recommend both of them. I also watched Last Holiday, which I think might be my favorite movie ever, but uh, we don't have time for that, and it's not in the Criterion Collection. So.
0: I was to say, I really love, I love the fact that I now know something about Elvira Madigan. I also really love this really roundabout journey you're taking with uh, the Ebert reviews. That's such a nice thing. You're not like focused, and you're not going to spend all your time like I did recently in like David Fincher land and get so depressed and sad and gloomy with just one filmmaker's vision. So it's, I think it's, I think it's exciting for you, and just exciting to follow along that journey with you, at least.
1: Yeah, like, I like the idea of seeing what, and they both, like, a lot of times Siskel and Eber liked the same films, but other times they had very diametrically opposed tastes, and I like the idea of checking out both of their lists just to see, like, a, at least a smattering of films I might have never watched from, this, especially the 60s and 70s, uh, a lot of, like, I, I've seen a lot of the films that they love, because obviously, like, they like a lot of these huge totemic films we've already watched, uh, even on our show, but... Um, yeah, I'm interested I'm interested to, to to watch just films like I've never heard of like Elvira Maddie and like probably never would have thought to watch that had I not seen it on the Ebert's list. So yeah. But Ian, as always, you are just watching uh one hundred thousand movies a week. So even though we have only not seen each other for four days, I think you've still watched maybe fifteen movies since I last <laughs> saw you. So uh what uh what's what do you want to highlight this week?
0: Yeah, I've been spending a little bit more time watching new releases because the year is wrapping up. It is that time where I try to like catch up on all the watching I haven't done. Like, you know, I watch a lot of movies, but more often than not, I'm more trying to watch films that have come out from, you know, way, way beyond my time. Uh, And I did a little bit of that this week as well. Um, Don't really want to talk about the new releases because it's not really what we do here, Uh, but I watched The Apartment this week from 1960, yes. uh Billy Wilder film. I think we were recently talking on maybe our last episode of the one before about watching more Billy Wilder films because you had watched Witness for the Prosecution. And so both that and The Apartment have been on my watch list for a long time. They've been a priority for me. But I went to the library to pick up a more recent film, went to pick up Ford v. Ferrari, had it on hold, and on the shelf in the A's, I saw The Apartment. I was like, oh, finally. They have it at my branch. So I picked it up and I was like, I don't have to watch it on Tubi. can watch it in high def. Took it home and I watched it that night and I thought it was just immaculate. I thought that Shirley MacLaine, obviously the standout, but just really, really impressive to see the portrayal of a person going through a very dark place in such a modern way. Um, You know, and the, the reason I say a modern way is because... You know, we talked about this when I was talking about No Way Out with Sidney Poitier last week. You know, this is a film from 1960. And when we think of 1960, I think we still think about, like, a better time in the United States, white picket fences, the American dream, um, very bland uh, mainstream culture. And with that, there doesn't come a lot of thought about, like, trauma, mental illness, um, darker seedier sides of life even though they were definitely there but specifically when we're talking about like mainstream Hollywood entertainment which the apartment very much is it's made by one of the you know one of the granddaddies of the film noir a big studio filmmaker in Billy Wilder um it's just not something I expected like this really honest and nuanced and like realistic portrayal of somebody who like struggles with self-doubt with uh you know anxiety with suicide yeah. um it was really refreshing and Shirley MacLaine is so young and uh I think is just like she seems to be in another caliber of actor even at this young stage of her career um handling this really really tough really dark subject matter and I you know and I'm talking about, like, I didn't expect this because of the time. I think the other reason I didn't expect it is because the apartment feels like such a lighthearted piece of entertainment from the very beginning. It feels very frivolous. It feels very funny. And a lot of parts of it are funny. Um, there's, like, some really good wilder, like, zingers, some really good rat-a-tat-tat between um, Jack Lemon's character and, like, all of the higher-ups, all the bosses. And especially between Fred McMurray, who, oh my gosh... Like, what a, what a silver fox in this movie. Um, and, like, I, I've i seen him play, like, you know, slimy people. Like, he's not exactly the most likable person in Double Indemnity. But he's also the hero of that film. He's the protagonist. In this, he's so gross. And just yeah. so, like... Like, you spend half of this movie just, like, giving him the, you know, the bird. Being like, fuck you, piece of shit. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, like... I was just really surprised by like what this film was, like how it tonally moves through its story going from like kind of, I don't want to use the word zany, but like a little like frivolous one minute and then like very dark and serious the next. And it really ties it all up really nicely at the end with that final, you know, cutting up the cards between Shirley and um, Jack's character uh, yeah, I was just, I was really impressed because I honestly, at the end of the day, I don't think I really knew what to expect going into this movie. Great movie. Uh, definitely ranks number one in my, uh, rankings. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, moving on from that, Mackenzie, we got another biggie this week, so I we don't want to linger too long. We need to briefly talk about what is coming to the Criterion Collection. We have some new titles to talk about, so I'm going to kick it over to you, Mackenzie. Let's go through them since there's not that many. And, uh, yeah, tell me what's coming to the Criterion Collection in February.
1: All right. Uh, Spine number 1210 is uh, Laura Poitras' All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. Spine number 1211 is Amir Naderi's The Runner. Spine number 1212 is Alice Diop's Saint-Omer. And I think probably the one people are very excited about this drop. Uh, Spine number 1213 is Gus Van Sant's To Die For. Uh, and there will be a new restoration, new 4K restoration of All That Money Can Buy, aka The Devil and Daniel Webster, from William D. D-, D-, D- Terrell, uh, which is spy number 214. So that's a that's the restoration for this month. Uh, great new art for that. Um, but yeah, lots to dive into. I mean, personally, I I was expecting it for a while, as it is a neon release. I think we talked about this months ago about the the neon releases we were anticipating seeing in the slate in 2024. Um, But all the beating, the bloodshed is one of my favorite films from last year. I think it is a masterpiece. I think it is. uh, It is just a gutting piece of documentary filmmaking. Um, It's, it's stunning. I don't even know how to describe it. It's if you don't know, it is, it's a, it's a documentary sort of chronicling the career and life of uh, artists and uh, social justice Activist uh, Nan Golden, and it it talks about her origins. With talks about her origins with her artistic journey as 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 a as an artist, Um, but then it kind of talks about how her art during the AIDS epidemic morphed into activism, and how that soul of activism has then carried her to uh, take on the Sackler family and the opioid crisis. And so it's kind of jumping around in time today's kind of work she's doing to combat the Sackler family's grip and the opioid crisis that's killed so many people all around this world. Um, while also interspersing her experiences in the eighties during the AIDS epidemic, as well as um, her childhood and her family. And when you get to the, this is not a spoiler. When you get to the part where the name of the film is revealed, why it's called all the beauty and the bloodshed, um, I could cry thinking about it. It is such a beautiful fo- moment in film of that year. It's um, yeah, I don't want even want to like say what's around it because it it will ruin the emotional impact of it, I think, but it's it's a really emotional film like bring your bring you be ready for a heavy, heavy watch, but it is really, really a a a i mean just one of the yeah, it's gorgeous. It's probably one of the best documentaries I've ever seen, and uh deserves all its flowers, but maybe you know, I mentioned we could talk about it, like it's interesting. This is a brand new movie. We were kind of anticipating it because of Neon, right? When Triangle of Sadness got added, we were like, all right, so the the films from this year are probably gonna start rolling into the collection. But it and Saint Omer, which I've heard incredible things about and I can't wait to watch, both very new movies. Um and you know, I don't wanna be a hypocrite. We've expressed that that we we feel some kind of way about films that aren't even a year old really being added into the Criterion collection. I think I still feel that way, even though I love all the beauty and the bloodshed. I'm like, well was just released like you know so i I think i'm kind of torn on it on how i feel about it because i kind of wish there was more older releases but i also think that those are both great movies i don't don't know i don't but i don't want to be hypocrite i don't know how do you feel about uh very new releases being added
0: yeah i mean i feel like i could fall prey to also being a hypocrite like parasite very clearly belongs in the criterion collection like absolutely no doubt. but does okja now let me be clear Oak Joe, which is a netflix movie from i believe 2017 2016 circa um i love that movie that's my favorite bong joon ho movie i love it more than parasite but uh, it doesn't really need to be in the collection uh yeah and like i mean furthermore we could be a hypocrite about you know a not just a favorite of mine and i think yours Mackenzie, but all of film twitter and the like on letterboxd um portrait of a lady on fire that got added to the collection within a year um so like power the dog <laughs> yeah we definitely we definitely love movie movies. I love. <laughs> yeah we definitely love movies that are added to the collection very rapidly but i i i personally i think i'm trending towards the direction of like we need to give it a five year period even if i am currently willing into an existence a may december release um <gasps> yes. as soon as possible.
1: It's going to happen. It's Netflix and it's Todd. It's going to happen. I feel it.
0: Yeah. Here's the thing, though. They now have Janus Contemporaries, and I do think maybe if it's like we want to be the distributor, the home video distributor for Neon, maybe that's something we do on Janus Contemporaries. I don't know if anybody who works at Criterion listens to this podcast. I don't think they do. But if they do, let (laughs) us, you know, let us, you know, borrow your ear and say, hey, maybe like to, you know, stave off criticism, maybe keep the collection I even hate to be this person, but maybe to keep the collection a little, I'm doing air quotes, purer. I don't know. It's like, you know, maybe that's what Janice contemporaries is for. I feel. Yeah. Personally. But yeah, that being said, I am very, very, very excited to see St. Omer added to the collection. It is the number one film from that year, 2022, that I've really wanted to see that I have not had the opportunity to see. I Don't know where we could possibly see this on streaming or home video here. This is probably its American debut, at least for the, you know, you know, person who lives in the flyover states like myself. Aside from that, I will say I'm not a fan of it to die for, though. Being added to the collection is very cool. I know people love that movie, and I know it's made like three or four appearances on the Criterion channel since I have gotten my subscription a couple years ago.
1: Yeah, I've heard so many things about this movie, and I I need to check it out. I need to get into this because I do I do love a a Nicole Kidman performance. If there's one thing I love, I will show up for Nicole. So I feel like I need to watch this movie. Yeah,
0: if anything else, I often forget Mackenzie that whenever we talk about these uh, new additions to the collection, that they were talking in theory, about future episodes. And so the fact that we can, like, talk about To Die For One Day, I would love to revisit it and give it another shot. That's a very exciting um, potential episode to me. Oh, and, and all the Beauty and the Bloodshed episode? Woo!
1: That would be great.
0: Sounds uh, like a repeat of our uh, Paris is Burning episode. Just Yes, a mood it vibe. probably
1: would be very Paris is Burning-coded. Because, uh, yeah, both of them deal with, with the AIDS crisis and uh, the queer community, but, boy, oh, boy, that movie... It's it's so much. I yeah, like the last like thirty minutes, I was just sobbing on my couch for that movie. Uh, it's a good one. If you haven't checked it out, I recommend it.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of things that are so much, Mackenzie, I think it is time. Would you mind bringing us into the opulent world of Don Fabrizio Corbera?
1: its long-awaited U.S. home-video debut, Lucino Visconti's The Leopard is an epic on the grandest possible scale. The film recreates with nostalgia, drama, and opulence the tumultuous years of Italy's... Here we go. Oh, no! When the aristocracy lost its grip and the middle classes rose and formed a unified, democratic Italy. Burt Lancaster stars as the aging prince watching his culture and fortune wane in the face of a new generation, represented by his upstart nephew, played by Hélène Delon, and his beautiful fiancé, played by Claudia Cardinale. Awarded the Palme d'Or at the 1963 Cannes Film Festival, The Leopard translates Giuseppe Tomasi di Lampedusa's novel and the history it recounts into a truly cinematic masterpiece. The Criterion Collection is proud to present the film in two distinct versions. Now I'm just selling the the, the DVD. Visconti's original Italian version and the alternate English language version released in America in a newly restored special edition for Lucino Visconti's The Leopard.
0: I must um, I must apologize before we start. Uh, this is the uh, correction segment on the Criterion Connection. I'm rolling out uh, my calculator and my ledger here, putting on my glasses and my visor. I mistakenly stated on our last episode that Burt Lancaster spoke Italian and that provided the Italian dub uh, for <laughs> the leopard. And yes. I regret to inform everybody that... Um, I don't know where the fuck I got that from because it's not true. Uh, And so it's very clearly not him doing the actual dialogue in this film. He is being dubbed by an Italian actor. And then the second thing I have to correct is I also wrongly stated because I watched this really old timey trailer with Burt Lancaster directing his address to camera. It was a trailer for this film making it seem like it was a 20th Century Fox production and I reported on This film being a 20th Century Fox production on our last episode, it was actually only distributed by 20th Century Fox in the United States. Mm. And because Visconti wouldn't cut it down and cave to their demands, that's why we did not have, up until recently, a home video release. Anyway, I'm rolling away all of my, uh, you know, corrections uh, utilities because I'm done with the correction segment on the Criterion Connection. I just had to get that out there and apologize to our public, maintain our integrity
1: that's yes i i i went in thinking it was burlank as talking speaking italian and when it was very obvious it wasn't i was like what's going on here <laughs> um but yeah i mean we could talk about the tumult it seems like there was a tumultuous uh release for this film uh as the this kind of blurb indicates obviously we can get to our histories but yeah we could talk about it. it seems like this this movie went through a lot to get released in the way that it is, the way that we currently can view it. I presume the version I rented that is really, really pretty, three hours long. Um, I have to imagine that is the Criterion version of the film. Um, but I can just quickly say, in terms of history, never heard of this movie in my life. Uh, never heard of Luciano Visconti. Um, yeah, like the, the first time I've heard of this film was when we saw it on the page for the music room and uh i mean obviously i knew about Bert lancaster we've discussed him on this show sweet Smile success uh but he and elaine delon we've also talked about with mr klein so uh they were pretty much the two things i knew about this movie is i had each i had seen them both in one other film um but this was definitely a coming to it with pretty much nothing um what about you had you heard of this movie uh, i don't think you would seen it before but yeah what's your history
0: so i have never seen this before but I have in my life over the course of collecting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of DVDs and Blu-rays seen a little ad for a little foundation run by a little Italian man named Martin Scorsese. Mm. (laughs) So there's this ad that appears on like a lot of like DVDs from like Focus Features or Fox Searchlight for the film foundation and it's Marty and another uh, famed auteur clint eastwood talking about two of their favorite movies that have been restored by the film foundation Marty is, of course talking about the red shoes clint eastwood is surprisingly talking about the leopard yeah. and i didn't know that i was talking about the leopard until i saw the third act of this film which we'll get to eventually but when we got to the third act i was like this looks really familiar and i went on youtube and i found this ad of clint talking about the opulence and the grandiose you know majesty of the leopard and how it's the first epic he saw that made him fall in love with you know this lavish style of filmmaking. Aside from that, I am familiar with Visconti in so that he is like considered to be one of the fathers of Italian neorealism. realism, mm. something that, you know, was kind of pushed forward and turned into magical realism by, um, you know, past subject of the show, Federico Bellini. Mm. Um, but yeah, aside from that, Bert Lancaster is my boyfriend. Uh, <laughs> yes. So, you know, that is my history there. He's one of my favorite uh, stars of the, you know, late 50s, mid to late 50s. I love Sweet Cell, Smell of Success, which we've talked about on this show, which stars him in, I think, his best role ever. He's doing something really different in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure what. Oh,
1: okay, okay. About to insult your boyfriend. Um, I mean, no. like, not to just dive into a random topic as soon as we stop, but, like, I was thinking at by the end of it, because in this final act is what I think where he's getting the most emotional arc to play. Cause the Prince is kind of just like roaming around and, and and the whole movie pretty much. And then in the last chunk of the film, this 45 minute ball sequence, um, he's getting an emotional arc to to take himself on. And to me, I, I saw so many, obviously so many comparisons to the music room to me, what the music room does in it's like entire runtime um, and it's like 90 minute, 80 minute runtime, however long it is, I got like I'm getting all of that in this 45 minute chunk of the of the leopard, if that makes sense, like the this like watching the opulence die um, taking this last chance right, like like him dancing with Angelica, I think that's her name is that the fiance's name um, reminded me of like him putting on one last show in the music room and until he finally sort of accepts that the world has moved on without him like 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 the music room and then the last 45 minutes of the leopard were like I saw that together And I think for Lancaster's play getting able to play a bit more in the last 45 minutes but as Rachel Rachel actually watched this with me which like of all movies to in and watch the three-hour like Italian gone with the wind is what she chooses um is is wild to me but I was thinking like you know an actor's toolbox is everything It's your eyes. It's your face. It's your body. It's your voice. And so like it's interesting to me that like because of the dubbing he's having to sort of I think the actor's doing a good job. The voice actor who's dubbing over him with like matching Burt Lancaster's like tone and vibe with his voice but like Lancaster is losing a tool in his toolbox as an actor by not being able to to do the voice I'm curious it's from what I could tell in the Wikipedia they were they wanted like an American or British actor in this role so I'm curious why they wanted a non-Italian actor as the prince so specifically because I wonder if that takes away part of it because he does he is he's missing that part of his of his performing arsenal you know
0: yeah, I uh, read a little bit into it, and I think it mostly had to do with financing the to classic. recoup the you know, extravagant budget for this film, which was high, uh, obviously. Yeah, um, they wanted somebody who would sell the film, and I think they wanted actually Albert Finney originally. Oh, okay. Or even, yeah. I think Peter O'Toole's name might have even gotten thrown in there, but I know Finney was like number one choice, and Visconti did not want. He actively was angry about uh, the producers picking Lancaster, which is interesting because apparently they became lifelong friends during I the show. I saw making that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I somewhat just was like, why not learn an Italian, my friend? Or like, I don't know. I know that's like a whole thing to do. I'm not like saying like it's easy. It's not. Like learning a language is really difficult, but like people do it. And I really agree with you that like I felt a lot was lost in the fact that like Bert was not able to speak the role. I'm really interested, though, to see the American dub of this, the, the English dub, sorry. American's not a language. Just uh, <laughs> to, to hear Burt Lancaster, even if it's not the um, on-set audio, even if it's like a dub, because I believe it is a dub Oh, regardless. interesting. Yeah, he had to, like, dub over himself, I believe. Um, strange. I could be wrong again. I've already been wrong about so many things. <laughs> no, this movie.
1: I, I believe you. I, I was reading that, like, the american version was so poorly reviewed uh because i was i was actually the 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 roger eber review he i think he reviewed this restoration of it um it's one of his all-time great films that he uh that he adores and it was interesting reading his review and he gets into sort of the journey of like the version that came to america was dubbed with english and it was like had 40 minutes cut out and i'm like i don't even know where that 40 minutes would come from (laughs) like what did they cut out of this movie um they cut out the whole ballroom scene i mean literally it's forty minutes on its own basically um (laughs) and so people didn't like it and it's like because and i think one of the things was i mean maybe it felt like an incomplete film also it's a lot of a movie as is i mean i'm sure even with 40 minutes cut out it's still a lot of a movie um but i saw they say they said some reviews were were actively like burt lancaster's like harsh american accent uh is a little distracting because even the people the italian actors who are dubbing in english still have italian accents as they speak english uh and and then and then Bert lancaster is real old school american so i think that uh i've i yeah i would be curious to see it but uh i don't know if i'd enjoy it as much i don't know i, I feel kind of conflicted that i i wish lancaster was able to act with his own voice a bit more but also i think if i heard his regular voice it would it would be kind of distracting yeah i mean
0: even setting that aside, it fascinates me that he wanted to do this. It fascinates yeah. me that he went to Italy to do this in a career that's not littered with these kinds of things. It's not like every two to three years he went to Europe and made it, you know, a lavish epic or even an art house film for an Italian or French or even British auteur. He was a mainstay in tough guy film noir and like, you know, gangster Hollywood cinema. Um, so I find that very interesting. And I think the 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 you know I don't know if there's a lot of old age makeup going on because this movie is like in the early sixties. He's not that old. I think he's like middle aged. So like I think the the makeup is really impressive. His hair looks incredible for what they're doing yeah, with it. Yeah, yeah. I know Mackenzie's. Uh, sometimes listeners, me and Mackenzie will put our names in our Riverside chat as little jokes. And right now Mackenzie's is Burt Lancaster's sideburns. Those sideburns. The sideburns there was like a shot when he turned around and his hair was going in like every direction. Like he looked
1: like Einstein. It was so funny.
0: Uh, I swear I have like more important things I want to talk about, but since we're talking about burn Lancaster and his hair and his looks that scene where the priest comes into the, uh, bathroom where he's in the tub. Yes. (laughs) Do you remember this? And he's like, and the priest is like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And he's like, so bashful. And he turns around and, uh, um, the Don is like, Turn around. It's not like you haven't seen anything like this before. A naked, a naked body is less embarrassing than a naked soul, and you're so familiar with them. Is... I know, and then just like makes the priest like wa- wipe
1: his ass. Like Rachel, Rachel was <laughs> yeah. like, he can't even dry his own ass. Was was her then comment he... that
0: made me laugh very yeah. hard. I just love how he's like the priest is drying his butt, and then he's like, harder, harder. <laughs> oh my god. Um... Uh, anyway, uh, setting that aside. I mean, I did not like, I'm not over the moon for this film, Mackenzie, but we've been talking a little bit lately and I think I said it on the show that I'm like in my long movie era right now and I really appreciate an epic and I loved the fact that like the battle sequence in this, even though it's not like, they're not dispersed throughout the film. There's like one section of the film was like, here's the unification (laughs) happening in Italy right now. Here's a battle. And I just was like, oh shit, we're just going to live in a battle for like 20 minutes. Cool. Um... The pacing is sluggish, but I do appreciate that it's like, nope, this is what we're doing. We're going to do it for a little while and then we'll move on to the next thing, which I think is why the pacing feels sluggish. It's very much like event, next event. But I did appreciate it, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was telling Rachel, like if it if, if feels on the scale, I, I refer- I'm you know, reference Gone with the Wind, like for better or for worse, mm. if I think of the American epic, it's Gone with the Wind. If I think of... The Russian epic, it's War and Peace, and this feels like the Italian version of that to me. Like this is a a bombastic, large, very um, specific to a certain moment in history type of thing. You know what I mean? Like Gone with the Wind will always be kind of tied to that era of of the Civil War, even though it spans a long period of time. Uh, I've heard, uh, which oh lol, well, Gone with the Wind is coming back to theaters at AMC for its anniversary. And here's the thing, it's a best picture winner. I want to see it at some point. And if I'm going to watch it, I might as well see it in the movie theater. So I might be seeing Go with the word. Um, which, lol. But you know what I mean? Like, again, for better or for worse, it is the American epic. It is, it is, it will always be that. It's still the highest grossing film of all time. And, and that probably will never change. Um, and yeah, War and Peace similarly. So it felt, yeah, I, I, I feel that it felt like totemic and huge. Um, much like last week, tons of political context. I was just completely gone on like a lot of it went completely over my head um i think it did its best to at least explain why it matters to the characters right like especially with the nephew his sort of arc from being a part of the rebellion to uh at the end of the film when we see him in the carriage with the mustache he just looked like burlancaster he looked like the prince to me like so like we see him go from like revolutionary to the upper the new upper class and I think that's what's important in terms of, like, the historical context. But I still felt kind of out to lunch with a lot of the, uh, I don't know, intense cultural context I was missing. I I did my best. I put my phone away. I was like, I'm going to watch this mm-hmm. movie. And I told you, I'm that Boo blinking gif. I'm Boo from, from Monsters, Inc. I was just staring at this TV going, I don't know what's going on. I'm not feeling a damn thing, <laughs> and I all of my mutuals have this a four and a half and five. And I think am I missing something? Because I don't like to say I was bored because I don't know if I was. like it was I am so confused, Ian. I watched this last night. and i am I am living in this this world where I was um I think genuinely, I was immersed in the world. It's so immersive. Like, I think I was on this movie's vibe. Like, I felt like I was there. By the time these three hours were done, I was like, wow, I feel like I lived through that with them. And it was immersive. I mean, the production design and the costumes and the colors and the cinematography, again, like every frame of painting, like it is a stunning movie. And I feel like it pulled me in and I was immersed in this world. Like, I really felt absorbed in the world. And I think I enjoyed watching it but I also don't think I gave a single fuck about anything happening in the movie. So I'm like feeling like the world immersed me, but I didn't care about the characters or the story or anything that was happening. So I ultimately think it was quite a middle of the road to, to boring slash bad experience, but it it wasn't like, I am so, I have never had a movie confuse me this much. I think in terms of like, I don't, I can't even figure out how I feel about it. Cause I feel I yeah I feel crazy like all my friends love this and I think I see why they love it I see these themes of the upper class crumbling and a new world coming and people being left behind as as the younger generation takes over like I see these themes but I don't think they I was I think I was more compelled in the music room with how the music room tackled these themes so I I yeah, not to just out my feelings. No, but I this movie is confusing me. I have no
0: idea how to feel about it. You know, Mackenzie is incredibly painterly. Um, sometimes when I come on this podcast, you sum up things so well. You're very eloquent. I have a really hard time coming and you know chasing whatever it is you say because I'm like, well, anything I say is not gonna no, uh, even never. stand out to that. It's. It's just how i feel and that's fine but you know in having said that i do want to borrow um from a friend of the show robert who we both follow and follows us on letterboxd their three and a half star review of leopard basically says it's one of those movies that i appreciated more than i enjoyed i think that is a perfect way of talking about the leopard now i really enjoyed it actually i like i said i'm not over the moon for it i don't even think it's perfect And I really, really, really love how you're like comparing it to like these grand epics that are like part of a nation's almost like film pride, like Gone with the Wind for America Mm -hmm. and War and Peace for Russia. Like this is very much in the same vein as those. But basically up until the last 45 minute, you know, act that we've been talking about and alluding to here and there, like I was kind of like you just like, okay, this is... All happening and it's all happening right in front of me. Um, and it's very nice looking, it's very pretty. It is truly one of those movies where I'm like, I really want to watch this again. Like, I really want to give this the appreciation and the time that it really clearly deserves, at least to me. Um, I think it is a movie that is um all but hurt by not being viewed in a movie theater. Like mm not i know that you said you tried very hard to like you put your phone away turn off the lights um i watched this in broad daylight now we don't have a film uh room we don't have like a home theater Our 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 big old television it's big uh, but it sits in the middle of our living room with a bunch of like full length you know windows like windows that are like the entire you know length of the room so there's a lot of sunlight, and it's also really open, it's the living room, which is connected to the kitchen, and it really doesn't, you know, set you up for, like, a really immersive experience, even if you don't have your cell phone or your laptop in front of you, you can, like, look over at the sunlight pouring through the kitchen window, or you can, like, look over at the piano, or, you know, it's on the other side of the room, and yeah, I mean, like, I'm saying that, like, I appreciated it and I liked it just fine, but, like, I do feel like I was distracted for large parts of it because it really just wants to wash over you, I think. I think it really just wants to envelop you in this, you know, very lavish, very um, very um, studied world. Like, the attention to detail is very immaculate, in my opinion. I mean, they're... It feels like it's being filmed in this time period. It doesn't feel like a recreation for large parts of the movie. Yeah. The only time I really felt it was actually that battle scene I mentioned. That felt very um filmmakery. That felt very like you know crafted. I I don't know why per, per se, but like I was looking at some people. No, this is like a side tangent. But I was looking at some people like fighting with their swords, and I was like, that's some cute you know play sword fighting that they're doing. <laughs> it was very silly but for that ballroom sequence the sequence where um Trent Coratti is leading Angelica through this place where his family has misbehaved um this like kind of like um i don't know safe house for them maybe is like i think it just felt like i was really immersed in the time period even if i wasn't fully enveloped in it i don't know if that makes any sense but like i think what i'm really trying to say is like given a second viewing and just maybe the, um, the permission to not be so focused on it, not have to watch it for a podcast. I might've even appreciated it more because I might've been okay with being distracted here and there. But at the end of the day, I really do feel like this would be best appreciated sitting down in a dark room with a bunch of other people who like want to be there, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I wrote my notes. I, I had to check where we were at and I was like, I'm 45 minutes into this movie if you put a gun to my head or you opened up a suitcase with a million dollars in it and you said "McKinsey, for this money tell me what is happening in this movie you'd have to kill me like I had no idea what was going on and I kind of felt that way the whole time like I just was like I'm sitting here but you're right like in the ball it feels like you are there and you're just kind of sitting in the corner watching these people exist like it is so immersive uh it's yeah it's just attention to detail is is amazing and but like yeah I didn't you know what was going on like half the time like this election like I don't know what I don't know why we were doing that or what was happening with the election I I didn't I didn't care about the characters or how they felt about each other like the only thing that was maybe interesting was like the love triangle that kind of didn't actually happen because really Alain Delon just said like fuck off and then got a new girl like really wasn't a love triangle it was kind of just like a dropped one girl for another uh the one moment that I was like I am in this movie. And it was like three minutes long was uh, when Lancaster's in the, in the room, like drinking by himself and Elaine Delon and Angelica. And I'm mixing the actors and the characters, but uh, you know, his nephew and Angelica come in. I'm going to pass out even thinking about this, but that moment where she's talking to him and begging him, the Prince to dance with her. And then she like kisses his cheek, but it's a little on his lips. Like she's, she's kind of grazing his lips and then this actress pulls out and looks at Burt Lancaster like he is the most delectable slice of pie she's ever seen like she looks at his lips bites her lip and like looks up and down his face and then is like hey honey your uncle's really hot <laughs> I was like, I was like oh and like I know it sounds goofy but like it was so sexy it was so interesting that dynamic is wild like her kind of being into the uncle and he's clearly kind of into her from the moment he sees her but they never follow up on it until now it's been two hours I've been waiting for you to follow up on his attraction to her and here is the payoff and like that and then like Devon's kind of reaction the way he performed that like that like three minute sequence I loved and I was like see these are like characters who have feelings about each other these are characters who have points of view about each other these are characters who are interacting with each other in interesting ways Uh, and i wish i had that the whole movie you know like that's the kind of thing like what i got that moment and i was like wow i love that and i would i wish that i could have cared more about these characters like it's not like i want to like them like i you know you don't watch succession to like those characters but you like watching the way they interact with one another Uh, And I think I was just missing that. Like, I just felt like so, like, nothing was happening the whole movie. I mean, maybe that's the point. I don't know. I just, I feel like I'm in the wrong because everyone on Earth has this rated at, like, four and a half and five stars. I definitely feel like maybe it's a, maybe it's a me issue, like we said last week. I don't know. But, like, I just, I don't, I'm not seeing what people see in this movie, I don't think.
0: Well, I mean, first thing I want to say is Claudia Cardinale has an amazing lip acting in this movie she's from biting the very that first <laughs> time she's in at that daughter party. Ooh. Yeah. She's like, there's this one sequence where she literally just like bites her lip and then sucks on it. And it's like 30 actual seconds.
1: I'm not mad about her, it.
0: Like just a close up.
1: Uh, <laughs> that part where she looked like she's about to take her bodice off. I thought we were about to get into it. And I was like, all right, I'm awake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm awake. And and then nothing happened. So I got sad. <laughs>
0: No, I will not take you into we're married. I, I um, will take you to
1: your wife. I'm like, dude, step aside, then I will come in there and we can have some fun in this movie. Come on.
0: You know, I uh, I think it's very interesting that you brought up Succession because I found myself now. I've never seen Succession, but I found myself at many times being like, oh, this is like the 1800s, like Italian version of Game of Thrones or like mm-hmm, Succession, mm-hmm. like. And I found my way into it through that. I feel like I've been pretty tepid throughout this conversation but like i really liked this movie and like i didn't identify with anybody but i was on board with like the kind of like really dry and um not black but very dark sense of humor i wish this material is approaching the aristocracy um and yeah i found it i found it to be a very interesting explora- exploration of like the bourgeoisie in many ways stories about bourgeois lifestyle can be annoying, it can be overindulgent, and it can be just a way to like show off your sense of style as a filmmaker, especially when it comes to film. Um obviously like there is something that this novel has to say, but I also think that Visconti had like a point of view. I thought there was just like something worth saying and there was a reason he wanted to tell this story and I should say not to take another long movie that we're watching here on the criterion connection and compare it back to a recent release that is three plus hours martin scorsese's *Killers of the flower moon but the reason for that film being told that way is obviously marty has like a lot that he wants to tell he wants to get the story all out there but it's also because that movie needs to be three and a half hours to beat you over the fucking head with like this is brutal this is you know ongoing it just doesn't end like There's a thematic reasoning for the length there. And I think similarly with the leopard, the aristocracy, they live a boring life. They live a humdrum, monotonous life. And like, you don't have to like that and you don't need to like be on board with that. But like, I just think that there's like, there's a lot of times in this movie where something goes on a little bit too long. Like the conversation between. Um, Burt Lancaster's Don and this, uh, you know, hunting buddy. It's like, pretty much got what they were talking about within the first five minutes, but then it goes on for 10 more minutes. And I'm like, well, there's nothing more to do. This Don doesn't have anything better to do. And similarly, that bathtub sequence between him and the priest and these, you know, parlor games that he's playing with his, like, you know, entourage, like, it just goes on forever. And yes, it can be somewhat, um, taxing for a, you know, a film viewer at home especially when like you know you could be doing many other things um yeah i mean i i i don't know i am definitely by no means trying to be like Mackenzie. you're wrong because like no, i totally get it and i felt I, it a lot we can totally disagree but, like, I just that's the point of it yeah and i and i am so happy too uh and love it when like i think it makes for almost more interesting conversation when we don't like you know feel the exact same way about a movie yeah we have the most fun sometimes then but like (laughs) yeah no i i was i was vibing with it at many points but there were definitely points where i was not
1: yeah like i i don't think my issues with the runtime necessarily like again like sometimes a long movie can feel taxing and i you know by we're crusted into like the last hour and 20 minutes i'm not like having the greatest time of my life because the film wasn't engaging me. I I, I did at some at uh, certain at some points feel like this it was homework because it was you know I had to watch it for my podcast. I wanted to make sure I was watching it and, and engaging with it so that I could discuss it for for an audience. Um, yeah, but like I understand that like that's part of it, right? Like if it is this epic film, like it needs to be this long in order to to fully express the original text of the book. Like I I don't want to dog it for for runtime necessarily again. Like I I felt almost exhausted by how immersed I felt by the end of that three hours but yeah I just like I I probably am not going to think about this movie again because I just nothing is staying with me does that make sense like when you leave a film you you want a scene or a performance or a moment or a line to stay with you uh and I'm I just don't have that I don't know I, I just Maybe I need to add it to my further down the road tag, which is where I tag films that I think I might like more in the future. Um, Because it does feel like I'm like, I'm worried it's a me issue. Because again, it's like every top review is so high. I I feel like an outlier here. But um, yeah, I'm just, I feel so kind of ugh about it, I guess. Um, And I don't want to fully assume it's the film's fault. Like the film has a lot of beautiful, wonderful things going for it. But I just... Maybe also maybe these types of like huge three hour epics maybe they're just not my type of movie. Like I don't know, I haven't watched that many of them. I'm 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 nervous now to dive into maybe go with a Winter War and Peace, but like maybe these movies just aren't my type of vibe at this point in my life. Maybe that's also part of it. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think homework is actually a pretty good descriptor of a film like The Leopard. It is a you know it is somewhat of a staid, proper, and formalistic. Um, you know, recounting of history based on a totemic piece of, you know, great literature that a nation is very, very, very proud of. Um, yeah, I mean, it's got all the makings of like a foreign language entry into the Oscars, you know, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't have a, I don't have a cap on that statement. It is just one of those things where like, I totally get it. Um, but like that being said, Mackenzie, do you have any final thoughts and the star rating for this film, I got a pretty good idea of where you might land, but I am very eager to hear what you got.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm probably going to rate it low, but it feels like not the movie's fault, which feels weird. So if I could leave it unrated, I could. But I I want to I want to stick to the show. But I just listeners know, this is a Criterion Connection exclusive rating. I don't think I'm going to put this on Letterboxd, lest I be shamed by cinephiles everywhere. Um, but like, yeah, I just, this movie did nothing for me. It was just three hours of me just sitting, being like, what's going on? I don't care about any of these people. I don't care about anything that's happening. Uh, I hated the dubbing also. We didn't really talk about it. But I think that there's scenes where like, especially with Landelon, like, the voice just does not match his vibe to me, and I, I, I just the dubbing I, I really didn't enjoy. Um, I was completely overwhelmed by the political and cultural context throughout most of the film. My head was spinning. Uh, again, the characters just had nothing for me, uh, and I could see the ideas that they were playing with, like in lines like, you know, the middle class they don't want to destroy us, they want to replace us. That the church has immortality, but the upper class does not. Like, I'm seeing all these themes, uh, but I think they were better executed in the music room for me personally. And I gave the music group three stars. So, um, probably two stars for the leopard. Unfortunately, I just, I, I don't really want to watch this movie again. I was pretty, uh, I, I get, I'm trying to move away from using the phrase I was bored because I want to ex- examine, like, why did I feel that way? Um, and I just, yeah, I just think I, there was nothing for me to to hold on to after the, after the credits were rolling and, it, it just didn't really do much for me, and I feel very bad because of that. But um, that is a Criterion exclusive. I'm probably not going to put a two star on Letterbox because it just feels wrong. It feels wrong to do that. Or maybe I'll be brave and I will. I don't know. I'll figure it out. But two stars. I'm so sorry, everyone. Ian, what about you?
0: <laughs> Live your truth, Mackenzie. Live Look, your truth. nobody else um... watched this
1: movie, nor will they. No, who else is? Hey, like <laughs> listeners, I I dare you to watch this three hour Italian epic. I dare you.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of we don't really watch films that are super inaccessible, but this is not very accessible. My library didn't have it. You couldn't get it on Tubi. Yeah, I, um, I had to rent it. Yeah, me too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I will say that I am excited to revisit this film. Um, I'm excited to check out the 161 minute English dub of this film. By the way, I also do want to touch on Elaine Delon, your comment awful his <laughs> dubbing awful terrible oh my goodness i get you wanted a name and you went for an american hollywood big shot but why did you cast a swiss french actor in the second lead i he's love hot. i don't know
1: because <laughs> he's really I mean, hot his yeah. cheekbones in this movie now that's something to talk about how yeah. I-, I-, I was telling uh, yeah, rachel no- i was like why does he as a man have cheekbones like that That's disgusting.
0: (laughs) Oh, love it. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I was entertained for at least two of the three hours. And it wasn't like there was a whole hour long stretch where I was not having a good time. It was just kind of moments here and there. I really loved a lot of scenes in this movie. A lot. Like, I loved... Bert lancaster's don just wandering aimlessly through the ball sequence i thought it was hilarious when he came across the uh chamber pots <laughs> yes um and yeah i mean I, I i kind of am a sucker for this kind of like you know uh very lavish very over the top um you know showing you all the money that they spent on the picture kind of thing And, uh, yeah, no, it it definitely worked for me a little bit more than it worked for you. Um, I think Burt Lancaster's, uh, physical performance is very good. And I really, 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 really find that impressive given that I, I personally, I know you were like, you thought the Italian dub was pretty good. I was somewhat distracted by the Italian dub over his character. Um, and I reserved most of my hate for obviously Elaine Delon's, uh, Lack of actual dialogue in the dub for him. But, um, yeah, I thought Claudia Cardinale, not only is she exquisite, but, like, really serving, especially yes. in the last act of this film. That scene that you specifically touched on, where she's, like, kind of playing with the two of them. Oh, um, I love that. Yeah. She's great. Um, So, yeah, no. I uh, I think I'm putting this on my uh, Criterion physical wish list, Whoa. actually, because that's a pretty you know I we didn't really get to talk about this but as I'm wrapping up I just want to mention like I think this is one of those additions to the collection that is incredibly served by being in the Criterion collection Mm. it didn't have a restoration before the film foundation and Criterion got their hands on it and wanted to put it out in the United States it presents both versions in full it has a slew of features um yeah like and I think you would even agree Mackenzie even though you don't like this movie um it is a benefit to cinephiles and film fanatics everywhere that you can watch it. And that Criterion has restored it and put it out and made it accessible. So for all the reasons I just listed and more, I'm actually going to go four stars. <gasps> Whoa! Look at yeah. you! Wow. Yeah. No, I liked it. I liked it. I mean, I liked it with reservations. I feel it. Hey, I love it when we
1: disagree yeah. or when we're far apart on a movie. Yeah. I think it's fab. And normally yes. I'm the one that's going um, higher, <laughs> so that's good.
0: Yeah, no, it's it is. I I, I I've been uh, going into our spreadsheet lately and looking at how it's gone. And yeah, normally I'm like two, and you're like four. So this is a nice little switcheroo. Look we're at doing. me,
1: I'm being a hater this week. Let's go. <laughs> but no, I agree completely. I know we have to close the show out. Um, but I I agree completely with like accessibility. I think is one of the greatest parts of of any. Boutique Blu-ray label that is that is finding and restoring films, and we did talk about it a lot at the top. But just to kind of bookend our conversation, the runner, nineteen eighty four, the new spy number twelve eleven. You were even saying to me that there's like, what only a few hundred logs of that film on Letterboxed, right? Exactly.
0: Yeah, and so like, yeah.
1: Now so many people will be able to watch that film now, and that's that. There's something beautiful about that.
0: Yeah. No, I I I, I do. Really love Criterion for their like preservation aspect. Like, absolutely. I, you know, I think we've talked about the king, Marty, on this uh, podcast a lot, especially lately, given how much we both love his, uh, you know, most recent work. But uh, yeah, like people like him and organizations like Criterion and even the more like schlocky boutique Blu ray brands like Arrow, Vinegar Syndrome, they're doing the Lord's work mm-hmm. in making sure that films are here to stay.
1: Yeah, I was trying to explain um, Vinegar Syndrome to Rachel the other day, because I have a couple of releases from them. They're not my exact vibe, but like they have cool releases, and I'm, I like their sub-labels that are, that are trying to expand the where their films are coming from. And I was telling Rachel, I'm like, yeah, they're kind of like, you know, schlocky, sexploitation, things of the like. Things that I don't really like, but I know someone out there loves them. So I'm so glad that places like Vinegar Syndrome exist. Yeah. And The Criterion as well. Yeah. But with all that said, Ian, do we have any letters or voicemails this week?
0: You know, I would say no, but there has been an email sitting in our inbox, Mackenzie, that I have shamefully accidentally omitted from the past two episodes. Oh. So I'd like to read it briefly here and now. Um yeah, and I, I and I apologize to our friend. I am going to editorialize a little bit because it is a little lengthy, but I do just want to get a little bit of it out there because we have not put it on the air the past couple episodes, and I feel so sorry. But um, our latest email comes from our friend Conan Neutron of the Movie Night Extravaganza podcast and is also in the VHS Village, as Mackenzie and I are. And the subject line is, in a lonely place. Uh, so that kind of carbon dates this uh, this letter. Um, but yeah, Conan writes, Hi, Mackenzie and Ian, Conan Neutron from Movie Night Extravaganza and the VHS Village. I finally dropped in on your show and checked it out with one of my favorite discoveries of the three criterion challenges I've found. In a lonely place. I just wanted to say, great episode on a great film. Probably the best I've heard of this one, which is one I am surprised isn't discussed more when noir comes up. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Wild that Nicholas Ray went on to make Rebel Without a Cause, right? Conan goes on to say, I also listened to The Third Man, which we covered for our Noir Month last year, and I really like a lot more than you, it would appear. Um, Yeah. Yes. We have three to four people on our show. Two are on the younger side of Gen X and two are definitely the same age as y'all. And neither of those two would shut up about the SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> well, SpongeBob, he is uh, culture.
1: He's our culture.
0: Yes. I mean, hey, it's 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 in the uh, millennial and Gen Z DNA. He is millennial culture, yeah. yes. Uh, Conan concludes by saying where it wasn't even a thing for either of us. We didn't grow up with it, don't care about it, and actually got a little annoyed hearing about it yeah i mean hey it shows with the age. the zither deserves better even if there's a lot of it justice for the zither well that's where i'm gonna stop with conan's email because it does go on a little bit longer but we really appreciate you writing in conan thank you so much for the email we are so sorry that we cannot get the spongebob SquarePants references out of our heads <laughs> <laughs> once again conan thank you so much for writing in and if our listeners want to be just like Conan and tell us why they loved a film we covered, or they want to be just like him as well and tell us why they totally disagree with our takes on a film we covered. They can write in or send us their voicemails, 90 seconds or under, to Connection at gmail.com. And Mackenzie, I would kick it over to you, but I think it's still my pick this week.
1: Oh, it is? I forgot we have to fake. We have to do what we're doing next week. I was like, ready to leave. I'm like, all right, bye. Uh, I forgot that we don't even know what we're watching next
0: week. Well, you know, we've already got it picked and we haven't changed our minds on this one. So it'll be really quick. And I think people are going to be pretty stoked on this one. You know, we uh, we just did our first film in India and now we are going to be taking our, uh, we're going to steer our ship just a little further over on the map to a little country called New Zealand, home of friend of the show, Jaysher. We are going to be talking about a film that Letterboxd describes as such. After a long voyage from Scotland, pianist Ida McGrath and her young daughter, Flora, are left with all their belongings, including a piano, on a New Zealand beach. Ada, who has been mute since childhood, has been sold into marriage to a local man named Alistair Stewart. Making little attempt to warm up to Alistair, Ada soon becomes intrigued by his Morari-friendly acquaintance, George Baines, leading to tense, life-altering conflicts. We are going to be watching Jane Campion's 1993 masterpiece, The Piano. Never seen it. I am so excited. Me neither. The piano for me is one of those films that was on the very top shelf of the DVD shelf that mm. I was not allowed to watch. Those were all the R-rated movies lived. So this is gonna be this is gonna be checking off a big box for me.
1: I mean, one of the most iconic Oscar wins ever, right? Anna Paquin, the I think the youngest uh, winner in supporting, maybe ever, but especially in supporting actress. Um, I think so. Yeah. Wow. I'm excited. I mean, I've only seen one Campion film before, Power of the Dog, uh, probably favorite of that year i would say my favorite 2021 film so uh excited to finally dive into more campion with with the piano
0: yeah me too well i think that just about does it for me mackenzie do you have anything else nothing else for me well until then see you next time on
1: the criterion connection